Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Hello and welcome back to the Weight Loss Podcast and our part two of our Q&A. Very exciting. We love these episodes. They're my favourite, definitely. Mm. Um, you, you can't really plan for it. No. You get a lot of really fantastic, a wide variety of questions and we had so many questions from our normal one-off Q&A that we're here doing a second one. <laughs> Stretching out, but that's that's good. Lots of questions is a good thing. Well, it's brilliant, actually. It's uh, flattering for us. Yeah. But also, it's this is the funnest the funnest part of the season for us mm. is doing these. So it's not exactly work getting back on to record a bonus episode, is it? No. So, all right, let's just rip straight in because we've got, we got a lot here to get through. Yeah. So as per usual, I will read and Courtney will answer. Yes. All right. First question comes from Rihanna. What are your thoughts on body composition scales? I know not to weigh myself, but was wondering, is there any benefit in tracking changes to muscle mass and body fat percentage? Now, we can answer this one quickly and easily. Um, we did an episode not long ago, like a, this actually very season, called How Do You Measure Progress, where we discuss uh, body composition scales and different forms of measuring progress yes including things like uh, body fat percentage and whatnot so the easy answer here is go listen to that Mm -hmm. absolutely all right uh jenny i would love some tips about staying motivated in lockdown i was scared to join the gym finally got the guts to go and next minute six lockdowns so i don't clearly from melbourne so i don't know how to how to start or what I can do at home. I've let bad habits slip back in because I forgot my why. Adios, amigos. Just quickly. Uh, she answered her question at the end. Yeah, she did. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I can expand on that. Yeah. Um, so I forgot my why, yes. But also when there's any sort of change to routine and – lockdowns isn't just one. It can be for some people working from home mm. rather than say working in the office or, or even well, I'll use myself as an example, kind of changing jobs. So going from, you know, working working full-time in a gym where I was working some pretty long hours when I first started as a PT to having our own gym when it was different hours and you found yourself with more, I use the phrase spare time, but that's, yeah, yeah, kind of inaccurate. But then, Courtney, us going from our gym to being a fully online operation, you find yourself with a lot more spare time, for yeah. lack of a better phrase. Uh, one of the tips I would give here is the importance of routine. Mm. The human brain seeks routine. It seeks habit. Uh, something I see a lot with people is – when things change and say, for example, they're, they're at home more often, they're, they're, obviously their routines go out of whack, but they're, they're not 
looking to create new ones based yeah. on the new situation. Yeah, and I think with lockdowns it was really hard because each time we were, you know, I know in our experience, you know, we were sort of <clears throat> almost um, misled in terms of how long they were going to last. So you sort of... You can, got, I, can I bring out the joke? Yeah. The worst part of the seven-day lockdown is the first three weeks. Yeah. So in one way it makes it even harder and you do have to forgive yourself in a certain respect because you go into a seven, you know, in our situation, a seven-day, we're told it's a seven-day lockdown. So you think to yourself... Three months later? Oh, great. You know, it's just seven days. So mm. you wouldn't bother, you know, putting new habits into place because why would I bother when it's only seven days? But then it stretches out and stretches out and stretches out. So it is really hard to make that, like, where do you make that decision to be like, okay, this is my new normal, now I need to develop new habits. So you do have to give yourself a break because because of that fact, because often, especially in our experience around the world, it, maybe everyone has different experiences if you've gone into any sort of COVID-style lockdown. Mm. But with our experience here in Victoria, it was very much a, it's only going to be a short term and then it would just stretch out, stretch out, stretch out. So I fell into this same thing where I was like, well, I'm not going to change my entire routine for seven days. And then even if it was pushed out for three weeks, oh, I can just make it through. I'll just put some, some sort of new sort of temporary routine together. But then it was three months and suddenly you haven't put anything new in place and you sort of trying to balance between your old routine and some makeshift new routine. So it, you do have to give yourself a little bit of a break in that situation. Um, but I think at the same time, I do agree with you, Matt, that it all comes down to routine. Our minds and our bodies love routine. So it is about just trying to find a new normal that's going to suit you. Well, what, what helps me with this and has helped me through that exact situation is – I view something like this situation that Jenny speaks about the same as I would view someone who has a set routine with what they do with exercise, their meal prep, et cetera, through the working week, but it's different on the weekend. Yeah. I, I look at it the same way. You need to have multiple routines in place for multiple situations. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's, so to me, it's you know, working week versus weekend. It can be time, like some people like – we've worked with where they'll say work in in the mines, okay? So it might be three weeks at work. Oh, fly and away fly from out. Home. Yep, yep, fly and fly out. Three weeks at work, two weeks at home. There's two different routines necessary there. Same thing with uh, shift workers. Mm-hmm. So we've got clients that, paramedics work in hospitals, nurses, et cetera, where they'll have times when they are doing night shift versus the next, the next roster time on might be day shift. And there's different routines necessary for that too. Yep. Same with you, Courtney, when you used to work in hospitality. Yeah. You'd have some pretty wacky weekend hours mm-hmm. and there's different routines there. So to me, knowing the way the human brain works, the human brain seeks routine because it conserves energy. Mm-hmm. Focus on creating routines and sticking with them. Yeah. And as best as possible, to me, is making them as close to what you are used to as possible. So... I'll use myself as an example here again. I, for many, many years, got up super early because that's what we call the PT life. Yep. You're getting up at the crack of dawn and actually beforehand most of the time. And Courtney will attest, much to her frustration, working from home, 
I still get up at PT times mm. most of the time, don't I? In fact, what, nine times out of ten, yeah. I'm up before you because I'm, I've attempted to keep as much of the same routine as possible. Yeah. It, it's just, it, honestly, for me, it's less energy. It's less mental energy required and it's just, it's normal to me. Yeah, but I think I think that that's part of the point when it comes to bad habits and slipping back, which is your your brain and your body are going to default back to the to what it perceives as the easier routine. Mm-hmm. And usually your bad habits, you've been doing them for so long, they are the easier routine. Yep. So it's normal, I think, for our bodies and our minds to want to default back to that, especially through through stressful periods. Absolutely. And I mean, COVID and lockdowns and whatnot is a is a very stressful period. Yep. So I, I feel like that that's definitely understandable and it and it's not surprising and it's happened to me and it's happened to a lot of people. It's not it's not surprising in the slightest. That being said, in those situations as as we know, it also helps to to give yourself purpose. Yes. To be productive yep. in ways. And that's why for me, my answer to this overall is build the routine. Yeah. Well I think that Build the routine, and I think you're right. Jenny answered it in her own question, which is, you know, she forgot her is it, why. Is it worth building the routine? That's what that comes down to. Yeah. Uh, next one. Yes. May Kristen asks, I have a question about alcohol. I'm a person who enjoys a glass of red or a beer once in a while, but last in the last year I've barely touched it. If I do drink, I go hard and get wasted. I know what that's like. So my question is, what would be the lesser evil regarding weight loss? Have one glass every week or get wasted once a month? What's your thoughts? Um, to, to spread it out, binge drinking is not good. It's not good for your body at all. So if you it, – like it – to me that um, – and it, it just encourages other bad binge-style habits. So you just save it up until you just smash yourself. Mm. And that's it's not helpful. It's really not good for your body. And it's really not good for your routine around that time as well, where you're going to be hungover, you're going to feel like shit. Um, yeah, just all around, I think binge drinking is is the wor- definitely the worst option. Um, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a glass of wine and – if, if, if you want to have a glass of wine with, with your meal, um, I think as well you have to sort of ask yourself in that situation, why are you drinking? Like if, you, if you're just going to save it up and binge drink once, once a month, then to me you also have to ask yourself, you know, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you enjoy the taste of wine? You, you're doing it, are you, do you enjoy the taste? You, you know, are you person like if you say you're a person that enjoys red wine, then to me, if you really like red wine, then there could be nothing worse than binge drinking it to the point you're going to make yourself sick. So to me, if you're if you're someone that likes a beer or you like to have a red wine, I would put the effort into really enjoying it and having it with um, a meal and making it... Special occasions. A special, like, you know, have a really good glass, you know. Treat yourself to have a really good quality... Um, bottle of red and have a glass and you're going to savour the flavour and you're going to enjoy it much more. If you're just drinking for the sake of drinking, that's a whole bigger conversation to have. I'm glad you said that as someone who 
had a bit of a drinking problem, I my reply to this immediately would be, why does it have to be between these two choices? Between I have to have it this every week or I have to get wasted once a month. Why are they the only two options here? So if if you're someone, and maybe Kristen is in this case, in the last year I've barely touched it. Okay, so how's it gone for you in the last year? Mm. And for me, if I'm, if I'm in this situation, the question I'm asking myself is, well, why do I feel the need now to go to having something every week or getting wasted once a month? Why do I do this? Yeah. And that's part of habit creation and habit reprogramming. Well, why am I doing this? So I understood for myself a long time ago, I didn't so much drink for the enjoyment of it, but I drank – it was medicine. For the it outcome. Was, it was med- not so much the outcome, but it was a form of therapy. Mm. And in, in my mind, because I had no confidence – I got the confidence through the can or through the bottle or through the glass. Is that a healthy approach for me? No, it was not. So I personally, now, I drink at weddings and funerals. That's just my... And even drink at weddings and funerals is pretty loose. Like you'll have one. Yeah, but you know what though? I'm fine with that. Yeah. Because I just, with my own sort of journey to this, to where I am now... I just realized like I don't need to use use this as a crutch. No. So if if you've gone a year without touching it, why does it have to be now? I have to have it every week or get wasted once a month. Is is that really congruent with how you're progressing as a person? Mm. Does it align with where you want to go? Why do you why do you do this? Yeah. So I'm going to give a terrible answer and say I don't know, neither. Mm. Like it's, you know, yeah. That's that's my two cents worth. Yeah. Moving on. Yep. Okay. New life, Frankie nineteen. Instagram. Mm-hmm. We should also get them to give their their actual real names on Instagram too. <laughs> I'm gonna start reading out IG handles here. Oh well. Um. Not too. Not sure if it's too late to contribute. No, it's not. Because here we are. I've started at the beginning of your podcasts. I am up to episode 21, bracket, 10 excuses holding you back. I'm still trying to make sure I only eat when I'm hungry. I've been off the rails the last few weeks. How do you tell if you are really eating for hunger and and only for real hunger? That's a good question. Thoughts? I think everyone's hunger is going to be slightly different. Um because it depends what you do that day. Like for me, the days that I do a heavy weight training session, like a leg day or something like that or a deadlift day, I definitely am hungry. Anything <laughs> anything metabolically taxing yeah. from a training perspective is going to jack up the appetite. Yeah. You know why? You've expended more energy and more fuel. So every day and then the days that I might just go for a walk, I'm not going to feel as hungry that day. Yep. So every day and every person's going to be slightly different. So keep that in mind. You're not going to feel the same level of hunger every day because it, it will obviously jack up when you've done your um, – Oh, it's different after an intense training intense session. Intense training session. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think for me as well, it's just to start being in tune more with your body and really listen to your body. I think we go through habits are formed a lot just with our mind and we can do mindless eating. And that's what I, I've – definitely been guilty of this in the past and it can still float back into my life as a, as a bad habit 
when you mindlessly eat, which is your your brain sees something delicious and it sees it it sees it could be from a couple of different things I should say actually it might be because you see food that's delicious that you don't usually eat so you just want to eat as much as you can of it yeah it could be because you're bored it could be because you're dehydrated actually and you actually should be drinking more but you feel like you should be eating there's a few different things stress response stress response absolutely emotional responses yep. um these all in my experience, come under sort of mindlessly eating. And that this to me is more of a, a head. Oh, sorry. I just, that would have sound badly on. I just whacked my microphone. Um, that would have come from like. Hope your ears are okay. Yeah. A mind response rather than an actual body reaction. So I think it's one thing that's helped me is to really be, start to be a bit more in tune with my body and really ask myself, am I hungry or am I thirsty? Maybe I'll go and have a glass of water first and just see whether I'm still hungry. Absolutely. Or it, asking myself, am I hungry because I'm bored? Or am I hungry because I'm stressed? Or that sort of thing. And I think you get a good, once you're really in tune with yourself and you can ask those questions, you know, you can start to, to get an idea, you know, and, and it depends when you're hungry too. If you're hungry 20 minutes after you've just eaten, well, maybe you're actually thirsty or maybe your food wasn't enough. Maybe you're depriving yourself and you're trying to cut your food down too much. Mm. Um, so these are all factors that can come into it. So it's really hard to say one clear thing in my mind as to how do you tell the difference. But I think that you have to, when you're hungry, get in the habit then of start asking yourself some questions like, am I bored? Am I thirsty? You know, how long ago did I just eat? Did I just do a training session? Yeah. Am I am I looking to eat right now for for reasons other than I'm genuinely hungry? Am I just did I just do a training session? So yes, it makes sense that I'm hungry Ooh, an yeah. hour after I just ate. Uh-huh. Um, after you just trained. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you might train. You might be starving, so you eat a meal, and then an hour later, you might be hungry again, and that's not abnormal. No, it is. That's normal for that people like normal. us. That's so, very normal. Yeah. So these sort of things, it, it's all about the context. But I think you have to be really conscious. Start being more conscious and asking yourself questions. If you feel like you're a mindless eater, about when you're hungry and what else it might be causing that. I can't give a better answer than that, but I will give a different one. A mistake a lot of us make is conflating the need to eat and a lack of appetite. So, well, I, I'm not going to eat because I'm not hungry. Except what a lot of people don't realize is you're also not hungry because you don't eat. That's called depressing a metabolism. Mm. So this is a, a good opportunity for me to, I suppose, put my teacher hat on and just educate and say to you listening that you can train your metabolism like you train your muscles in the gym. So part of real long-term successful weight loss and as we like to say, Courtney, body recomposition, what's necessary that they don't teach you in diet school is that you actually need to increase mm. your food intake, real food, quality food. And there's a, there's, there's a process that we do with our clients that it trains your metabolism it trains your digestive system. It trains your body to want more food because it's expending more energy. Mm. 
So, as I said, a different answer, but I just want to say, don't confuse I'm not hungry with I shouldn't eat. Yeah. Because they both kind of feed into themselves and the way to train a person's metabolism is through regular eating. Yeah. To me, I look at it, what helps me mentally digest that fact is that I look at my metabolism like I look at my muscles. Mm. You get stronger by going to the gym or lifting, you know, lifting weights, etc. It's the same with your metabolism. It gets faster and stronger through training it. Best way to train it, eat. Yeah. How's that? Good. Next one? Yes. Kathy. So Kathy sent a bit of a long question. Um, I will just give the the nuts and bolts of what she's getting at. So she's uh, she's hit some goals which deserve an immediate high five. However, uh, she's had problems then staying on track after hitting those goals. Question she's asked is, how have you pivoted after getting where you wanted to go? Can I just give my quick answer and then throw to you, Courtney? Here's how you pivot after getting where you want to go. What's next? What's the next goal? Not, it isn't a case of, oh, I hit my goals. I'm going to live happily ever after. Nope, that's how you get complacent. What's next? What do you turn this into? All yours. Yeah, well, I was going to say the same thing. Set a new goal. So when we say set a new goal, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're happy with the way that you look, you don't need to set another uh, goal based around your size mm. or your weight. Go do something with what you've built. There has to be, but there has to mm. be some sort of goal set. So that might be you might want to learn a new skill. You might want to become a runner. You know, we've we've had friends and clients in the past that have decided when they hit a certain weight, I'm going to run a half marathon. I'm going to train for that. People that have never run before and they've slowly built up to be runners. Yep. We've we've known people that have gone you know, do some other challenge or... Strength competitions. Strength competitions or they might take up cycling or... A new sport. New sport. Hiking. Like, yeah, I... This is this is the thing and I'll... Like, what's next? Yeah. So there has it, to be some other goal set. Otherwise, yeah. it mats it completely right. Just because you set new new habits in motion, it... It's a it's an absolute mistake to think that they're set in stone for life. It's an absolute mistake. So if you think that when you set you, when you reach a goal that you really wanted, that all the habits that you've built to that point are now set in stone, you are sadly mistaken. Mm. So if you don't set a new a new challenge for yourself, a new goal, um, all of that will come creeping back in. All of your old bad habits. So Matt's absolutely right. Choose a new goal and. Uh, that absolutely does not have to be with anything to do with the way that you look because if you are happy with the way that you look, fantastic, high five, amazing. But you have to have some other challenge to keep your mind striving for something. It's like I said before, with the lockdown question, you need purpose. Yes. Uh, without purpose, to me, you've got no direction. Yeah. And I know just from, from my own my own sort of personal perspective, if I don't have purpose, I don't, I don't put in the effort. My work ethic suffers and my... Honestly, my self-esteem suffers because I feel better just knowing I'm achieving things, moving forward in life. So as Courtney said, it doesn't need to be the, – the what's next question does not need to relate to getting 
say, getting better with your body. It can be as simple as keeping up the habits that you've got, but then improving other areas of your life. Yeah. So one of the things with hitting certain goals or hitting goals with your, your health and your body, et cetera, is it gives you confidence. Mm. My question would be is, what are you going to do with that confidence now? What are you going to apply it to? Are you going to apply it to improving your social life? To For some people, it can be hitting the dating scene mm-hmm. and, and you know, looking, for a, looking for a partner. For some, it can be improving their career. Yeah, getting, upskilling. Get, upskilling, yep. getting the promotion at work. Even for some, like for me, changing careers, having the guts to change careers and go, you know what? I'm going to back myself. What's next? Yeah. What's next? Yep. Happy with that? Yeah. All right. What's next is a question from Holly. Is it really possible to lose weight and keep it off if you take antidepressants and medication for OCD and severe anxiety management? I feel hopeless. I'll give a quick answer if I can, Courtney, and give it to you. Yes, it is possible. The only reason someone can't lose weight is because their attitude is not where it needs to be. Yeah, pretty much. Everything else can be overcome. You cannot overcome the person who doesn't want to change and or has a poor attitude. Everything else can be dealt with. Everything. Yeah. I don't think I can explain that any better. All right. We'll keep going. Yep. Oh, this is a this is a banger. Mm. You got that open there too, do you? I didn't think you did. I need to have the questions in front of me because if I don't... Yeah. Helps you, answers. you read out the question, then I've already forgotten it. It's like <laughs> my, my brain just doesn't take it in like I need to see it. Totally. Okay. Ashley, if you could go back in time to when you first decided to make a change and lose weight, what advice would you give yourself? Excellent, excellent question. I think my... My biggest, one of my biggest challenge, one of my biggest challenges over the years has been the problem with complacency and not like what we just spoke about, not setting new targets and really not having a good enough grip on what my purpose is. Obviously being also a a natural people pleaser, really getting in touch with like what I want, not what I think I should do or what other people think I should do. Well said. But really what I want. I think if I could go back and give myself advice on anything, it would be that. It would be really teaching myself the lesson I've learned over the last 10 years about purpose and always setting new purposes and not being afraid to chase what you want. That would be mine, I reckon. I, I A Zen answer like... I wouldn't change a thing is kind of disingenuous because your answer, Courtney, is very similar to mine. It would be your goals are good enough. Go after what you want, not what you think you need or what others think you need. Mm. The best goals, and this, this is something we've spoken about a lot on this very podcast over the years, is the difference between working to achieve what you want versus working to achieve what you think you need. If you go after what you think you need, you ain't going to get it. And I've been guilty of that. Mm. When I've gone after what I've wanted, that's when I've found out what I'm really made of and honestly how good I can really be. And it's been very uplifting to know that, you know what, what's important to me 
is more than good enough to get me to do what needs to be done even when I don't feel like doing it versus doing what I think I should be doing or what I think I need to be doing, it's, it's a different output. It's a different effort. It's a different focus and it's, it's just not there. I, I think for me as well, the follow-up to that or both of ours are very similar then. The follow-up to that then would also be that the one other thing that I would love to teach myself, um, you know, 10 years ago would just the importance of making mistakes is okay. And mm. learning from them, like trying to take away the shame of of making mistakes, because I think that is also in my in my time um, has led me more and more to lose purpose and follow a purpose that isn't really my own, because I've been too afraid to make mistakes, or the shame of making mistakes has led me off the path. Yeah. So I think those two things for me sort of tying together, and that's also something I would have liked to have had the last 10 years of, of lessons on that, I'd like to be able to t- sit down and teach myself. Yeah. I would probably say the other thing I would say to myself would be, it's going to work out fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. at, the t- at the time, and you listening would be able to relate to this, we all can, you, you, it's the great unknown. Yeah. I want, I want to change X, Y, Z. I can't picture what it will look like. I can't picture what I will look like. All I know is I don't know. I don't want what I currently have. So that that's the, the other thing I'd say to myself is it's going to work out fine, big boy. Yeah. Cool. Next one. Yes. All right. Debbie asks, "What's the best way to learn gym exercises if a PT is not in the budget? For example, I want to learn to deadlift. Good exercise, but have no idea. Actually, the best exercise." have no idea where to start and am concerned that just giving it a go could result in an injury. What do you reckon? You are probably better to start to answer this one. <clears throat> okay, well, here's, here's the thing. I like this question mm. because with a lot of questions, the first thing I do is, well, if I'm in this situation, what would I do? If I'm in this situation, if I want to do something or learn something or achieve something bad enough, I'm going to invest in it. Mm. So me personally, if I wanted to learn how to become damn good in the gym, which I did because that's why I do what I do for a living, I invested in it. I invested time, effort, money. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, just throw money around willy-nilly, but you know what? Here's the, here's the fact in life. The things you want the most and the things that mean the most to you, you're going to invest in. You don't half-ass it. Yeah, I think it's really like it's one of those things that to me you have to do take into consideration with injuries and I think it's really good that your Debbie is thinking about this because it is something that we've seen a lot. People just jump in and they don't know what they're doing and they just watch the person next to them in the gym and they're usually doing it wrong so that's the that's a mistake i made and it led to me doing some really terrible things in the gym like you know behind the back shoulder shoulder press behind the back lap pull down terrible deadlift form terrible everything so i'm just watching the next person Mm. um i I think if you are definitely not um used to lifting weights in the gym at all I really feel like there has to be some sort of investment there into some training. So whether that be, you know, um, you don't have a PT full time, but you might, you know, employ a PT just 
to teach you the basics or and then you just get a PT to check in on your form, you know, every fortnight or something like that, you know. You just have to start thinking creatively, okay, if I can't afford a PT three times a week every week, what can I do? Um, you really need to have somebody teach you form. Um, there's also online options. Maybe there's some sort of online coach that you can employ that might be cheaper than an in-person coach. Um, that Then they can teach you um, – online we work online it definitely can be done so people think oh no it can't be done because they're not there watching you bullshit that's what we fucking do trust me it can be done so you might find where you are there 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 might be some sort of online yeah um that might be cheaper you get tutorials you know you can film yourself and send it to your coach that can be done too but i definitely would investigate other options that are within a budget that you can afford to learn um, to learn form because it is essential. I will just say, and this is how I live my life. So I'm just this is from personal perspective. What you value, you invest in. Yeah. Uh, Debbie has a second question. Mm-hmm. If you overdo it one day and get long-lasting muscle soreness, what can you do to make it go away? My sore calves will be grateful for this answer. Very good. Um. Well, I will start by saying, one, walking, just gentle, gentle, we call it uh, less intense activity. So, um, you know, walking or a gentle bike ride or something like that, um, stretching, and honestly, just rest. You'll find that it's not so much, you won't always overdo it and get crippling muscle soreness. For a lot of people, you can get really intense muscle soreness when you're a beginner or when you've had some time off. As your conditioning improves, the soreness becomes one more manageable, two less severe. Uh, so yeah, for now, I, I would recommend patience. Would recommend walking or light bike riding, some some sort of less intense stuff, and and stretching. Yeah. Yep. All right. Betty asks, "Is too much fruit bad?" such as eating fruit for lunch and after dinner. So that means one main meal only. Courtney, it's too much fruit, bad, go. Yeah, this is one of those misconceptions with fruit. And I think it comes from the fact that fruit has sugar. Fruit fructose, is sweet. Fructose, yep. yep. Uh, natural, natural sugars. Mm. People then assume, and there's a lot of stupid diets out there that take out fruit for this reason. Mm. Fruit is excellent. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with fruit. You would have to eat <laughs> the amount. I, I remember years ago, my sister decided to cut out blueberries because they had too much sugar. Blueberries? Yeah. Legitimate superfood. Literally one of the best. Legitimate, actual superfood. Antioxidants. Blueberries. Like- you, you will not find many forms of nutrition in the world with a better health profile than blueberries. So cutting it out because of too much sugar. Literally. Honestly. I think when it comes to fruit, the question that has to be asked is that the amount you would have to – do you understand the amount you would have to eat of that fruit for that sugar, for that fructose to actually affect what you're trying to do? And the answer is you could not eat enough of it. And now I think just to clarify, I think where people get this conversation about fruit mixed – to me, is 
They don't understand the difference between eating fruit and juicing fruit. Ooh, very good. Continue. So when you talk about, there's one thing that we've used, Matt, in the past, which is, do you know how many oranges are squeezed to get a cup of orange juice? Mm. And the answer for most people, they're surprised to know, you would not eat that many. Well, then you ask, with the amount of oranges that went into that juice, could you eat that yeah. many? And the answer is not even close. No. So for most, it's like six to eight. Yeah. <laughs> like you wouldn't sit there and eat eight oranges. No. And, I, I, and I, by the way, I love oranges, one of my very favorite fruits, and I ain't eating eight. No. So I'm, depending I'm on the one. glass, depending on the size of the glass, it's like, isn't it like, Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but it was like six to eight oranges. Yeah, this is a while ago now. Something like this. But anyway. It's more than you can eat. We'll start there. The point is I think that this is where the fruit conversation gets muddled and a lot of people have the misinformation on it, Mm. which is fruit itself you could not overeat if you tried. I think if you want to talk really about the dangers of having too much of the sugars coming from fruit is when people are just constantly juicing the fruit and not actually eating it. Mm. That is where you can, the dangers of that can happen and the energy the energy that's induced rather than eating. Oh, the condensed energy for sure. Is so yeah. much more because there's so much more that has to go in to get the juice out. Yeah. So that's where I would be very, very cautious when you're talking about fruit juices but when you're talking about eating fruit or like putting it in smoothies, so you're not juicing it, you're eating the entire fruit. It's just like, you know, you can't. I, I've just got two two comments to make with this one. The first thing is with what Courtney said before about, um, I can't remember who you said it was, but someone cutting blueberries. Oh, my sister. Okay. I don't know which sister you're referring to. I could probably guess. But- Cutting blueberries because of too much sugar. This is why I've seriously contemplated when we get to the time we're up for manned missions to Mars, I'm thinking of going. (laughs) Things like that is like, get me off this planet. Yeah. The second thing is, I've said on this very podcast many, many times, I'm yet to meet someone who got fat eating vegetables. I can now expand that. I'm yet to meet someone who got fat eating fruit. Mm. I love fruit. Delicious. Is too much fruit bad? No. Is fruit the worst thing you are eating each week? I guarantee it isn't. Mm. If you get to the stage where fruit might be the worst thing you're eating each week, you should be hosting this podcast, not us. Yeah. That's all I got. Yep. Move on? Yes. Ben asked a question that we kind of answered earlier, so we can rip through this one pretty quickly, Courtney. How do you sustain this new lifestyle for years and decades after achieving your desired weight loss? Okay, two things. One, keep going. Two, what's next? Yeah. Move on? Yeah. (laughs) Gail, another quick one. Do you think tracking your food and exercise is a good idea? No, it's not a good idea. It's essential. Mm. Without it, you're winging it. You may as well put a blindfold on, turn the lights out, and try and find the light switch. Yeah. It's essential. It's it, that it's a non-negotiable. Yes. Non-negotiable. Anything you'd like to add there? <laughs> I think you've smashed that one too. Okay. Happy to move on? Yeah. Okay. Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. Mm. Actually, thank you everyone for these questions, by the way. This is, this is a general thing. Thank you to all of you. Yes. 
Danielle, I have aspirations to get really fit. Defined arms and legs, abs and a big booty. Right, that's not fit. That's called lean and strong. Just want to clarify that. Mm-hmm. Fit is when you can run further, swim further, cycle further, you know, endurance sort of stuff. This is lean and strong. Just want to be very clear there. Fitness and body composition are not the same. And I have a good base on how to properly use weights for the big slash common exercises. I, I feel confident I can lose the excess fat on my own. When should I get a personal trainer to hit my total sculpted body goals? It's a good question. What are your thoughts, Courtney? Because I've uh, I got mine. Uh, well, I haven't come up with mine yet, so you go first then. When should I get a personal trainer is when you realise you've gone as far as you can take yourself. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Any, any form of coaching in life is when you realise, you know what, I'm now attempting to do something I haven't done before. Mm. I need to speak to someone who's been down the path I've been down and who knows this situation mm. because that's how, that's how you get given the shorter path and the necessary tools. Now, am I going to say it can't be done by yourself? No, I'm not going to say that. But holy heck, can it be more doable and less uh, stressful when you've got someone guiding you who knows that? Yeah, that's when. I, yeah, when I'd you, agree is, when, with that. is when you've gone, you've gone past, or you've you're about to exceed your limits, and it's like I mean now in uncharted territory. I need to. I need someone to walk down the path with me. Yeah, I think that that's perfect. I've got nothing else to add towards that. All right. Well, her second question is also a very quick, easy answer. Do I need to hit a certain amount of protein or have to count my macros to get to that level of fitness slash physique? No. Well, you don't need to count macros at all. Protein intake definitely should be uh, factored in, but you don't need to count macros for that. No. Um. Protein protein intake is is an important um, thing to look at over time, but it's for for the majority of people, the overwhelming majority of people, it is so far down the track for them that even with with most people, you find you, you'll increase their protein intake purely purely through increasing their meal frequency. Yes, yeah. So a lot of people don't eat breakfast, or they'll you know. Yeah. Yeah. So have the person who skips breakfast. Okay, I'm now having breakfast. Boom, protein goes up. Yeah. Or someone who only eats two times a day now eating three times a day. Boom, protein goes up. Yeah. Yeah. Etc. So it definitely protein definitely matters, but you don't need to. Yeah, you definitely don't need to count macros, or you don't need to be concerned right now on if you're getting enough protein. You'd be more concerned of I. You know, are you getting enough food in the day? You'll find with with someone who wants to really dial it in and get lean and strong. Oh, yeah, you definitely the, need to count your protein then. That's nowhere near as important as the C word, consistency. Mm. Consistency is what gets a person to that level. Yeah. And it's consistency doing a certain number of things to a very high level and not letting shit get in the way. Yes. So I just think of... uh soon to be host of a new podcast we're releasing, Courtney, the MILF podcast. Yes. Andy, who like 24-7 walks around in almost contest preparation. Yes. Purely because she is consistent. Yeah. She, doesn't, she does not miss training sessions. She does not shortcut 
her meal prep. She's a cannibal every week up to her eyeballs. Yes. And I've like I've seen her I've been coaching her for years now and I've got every every bit of accountability that, that Andy has submitted for years now and can refer back to them at any given moment. Her superpower is consistency followed by time management. So do we need to, you know, count the macros? If if you want to get this so far, well, actually, no, I can't even say necessarily to the to the stage because, like, to get just defined and strong, it's less less sorcery than you think, mm. and more consistent fundamental application. Yeah, we satisfied with that. Yes. All right. Uh, another Danielle asks. When is it okay to share your wins? I'm so afraid of failing that I won't normally share any of my wins with my friends. When, when is it okay to share your wins? As soon as you have them is the answer. Literally as soon as you have them. The reason I, I can totally understand why people are afraid to share them, especially if you've struggled in the past. The reason one one of the reasons that you will find that you will keep repeating similar mistakes is because you are not celebrating the little wins as they come. Because waiting till you get the end result, the really big goal, is too far away. No one like motivation is complete bullshit. It doesn't exist. So to say you're going to have the ability to wait till you reach that massive end, you know, goal is is dr- like dreamland like mm. you're not going to be able to do it so if you don't feel you don't get that rush of feeling along the way that you're actually achieving something you you will you will go backwards every time so when is it okay to share the wins as soon as you have them and if your friends if you're sharing them with your remember the circle of influence that you want to have in your support people if, you, if you're sharing your wins with those people, you should feel comfortable doing so. And if you make mistakes in the future, if, if anybody within that circle judges you for it, they're no longer in the circle. Get rid of them. It's not your problem, it's theirs. So share them straight away. I've got nothing to add. Um, that's spot on. Uh, <laughs> another quick question we can answer. How do you keep motivated once you reach a goal? What's next? Well, I just said motivation is bullshit, so mm. that probably answers this question. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah motiv- like, honestly, motivation is garbage. Like it doesn't exist. It's a fictional word. It doesn't mean anything. It's it it it's not a solid thing. Well, it's so, certainly not something that you can base a a long term plan on. No, because that then means you'll only do things when you feel like it. And if I only did things when I feel like it. Like I wouldn't do a lot of things. To me, motivation is just like a describing word like anger, anger or happy. You're going to feel it for a certain amount of time, but it's not going to stay. Yeah. So you have to rely on something else, which is things like purpose. It's something actionable. It's purpose. It's, um, you know, goal setting. These sort of things is what, you've, what you're going to have to rely on. Yep. Uh, next one. Mm-hmm. Sharon. I've been in my new lifestyle for about six months, but I continue to weigh myself every day. I find it keeps me focused. What I'm getting better at 
while I'm getting better at not worrying if the number on the scale goes up a bit on some days, I want to know how to go about changing from weighing every day to not at all. I'm scared if I stop, I'll lose focus. Also, I use a food logging app and keep track of my daily calories. I know this is not sustainable. How can I move away from this and still stay on track? I would refer back to, to begin with, the episode we did recently, Courtney, called How Do You Measure Progress? Mm, yep. Because we not only discuss the flaws in the scales, we discuss how we measure progress. Yeah. And how we measure progress with our clients. I understand the default can be, well, scales and calories. Guess what? You can get kick-ass results with neither. Yeah. And one thing I like to look at with with all of this is, well, I want to achieve a certain outcome. How much do I not need to do to get that? Yeah. And I'm happy to report the mental gymnastics that come with tracking your daily calories is not necessary. In fact, I can say with myself, with Courtney, with literally every client we've ever worked with over many years, none of them have had to track their calories or weigh themselves every day. In fact, ever. Yeah, there's a big difference between having to count calories and just being calorie aware. Yeah. Um, And that's something that we'd encourage you, Sharon, then to move towards, which is being more calorie aware. So you don't have to – you can look at a dish – and you can see, without having to sit there and work out how to count the calories, whether this is a nutritious meal or not. And also, yeah, a, a real fundamental flaw for a lot of people with calorie counting is they assume more calories are equal. No, they're not. Yeah. Not even close. So I would start with the episode, How Do You Measure Progress? Uh, and go from there. But also, this is where you'd want to, I would recommend having people in your corner that can shift your focus away from this. Because I can understand how it can be nervous to move away from that. I can also understand how frustrating it could be to know this is not sustainable and this is consuming a lot of energy. That mm. I, could, I, could, I could refocus into more productive things. Yeah. Anything you'd like to add or we move on? We'll move on. We're on a roll here. Okay. Uh, Aisha asks, how do you stop emotional and boredom eating? Also, if you break down your goals into smaller bits, how do you know if it's too small or not? I can't remove the worry that I'm not doing enough. I'll tell you something. A mistake most people make with this is trying to do too much at once. Yeah. Less is more. I would rather, if I've got, if I've got 100 things I think I need to change, I ain't going to try and change 100 all at once. I'm going to start with one, two, or three things and get good at those one, two, or three things, then move on to the next one, two, or three things. Less is more. Yeah. Get good at doing only a few things. Get really good at only doing a few things, then move on to the next few things and get really good at those. Yeah. I think that's a good way to break down how much to change at once. I think in then in terms of how do you stop emotional or boredom eating, I wish that there was a really easy answer for that and just like a switch you could you could flick, but you can't. Um, I think one of the biggest things is to be obviously aware that you do it. Um, and then like in, in, in boredom eating is a, is a good example of, well, you can usually see ha- like patterns there. So is it afternoon? Is it morning? Is it weekend? Is, is there a particular time you're doing this? 
Um, is it at night because maybe your dinner didn't fulfill you enough? You know, um, what is it as well that you're craving? Is it sugar? Is it savory? These are the sort of things you can start asking yourself. You can start coming up with patterns and and ways around around that. Emotional eating is obviously a little bit harder because you don't always know that you you know emotional events going to happen. Stress stress tends to be the biggest emotional eating. Um, habit and and in that again usually with stress eating similar to boredom eating you can usually fe- feel like are there are there patterns here once you start to develop okay are there patterns that I'm doing this am I reaching for the same sort of food am I reaching for the food at the same sort of time then you, I think you can often help yourself um, by knowing the patterns but I, it is sometimes very hard well I, I think Matt you you can agree or disagree that I think it is definitely too hard to even look at changing any of this unless you've sort of looked at the patterns. This does relate to the habit loop. I would recommend going to listen to episodes 75 and 76 of the weight loss podcast called how to make your habits work for you parts one and two. These are, these are habit loop things. Yep. Cue routine reward Go listen to those episodes, then come back to these questions and go, okay, emotional and boredom eating um, both re- relate to cues and routines. Yeah. So just to keep this real quick, with regards to emotional eating, they are emotional eating is so often emotional responses to usually negative situations, sometimes positive, aka celebration eating. That is the cue. The routine is the eating. How can you change the routine? Yeah. And then and then have a reward in place that incentivizes changing the routine. Same thing with boredom. That is classic habit loop. So I get home from work. I sit in front of the TV. Uh, there's nothing good on tonight. I'm going to the fridge or the cupboard. Mmm, packet of Tim Tams. Same thing. Cue, routine, reward. Habit loop, look at the routine. But without turning this into a two-part podcast episode, go listen to that two-part podcast episode, episode 75, 76, how to make your habits work for you that will help you frame these in more ways ways that you can systematically approach these with regards to reprogramming them. Yep. So awareness of how habits work is where this starts. Yes. Sound good? Yes. Okay. We're on the home stretch. Perfect. Georgia asks, what kind of at-home exercises or stretching would you suggest for helping to target areas like the backs of your arms, sides, etc., where fat seems to linger? I know trying to tighten skin after age 40 is pretty impossible with a big weight loss, but I've noticed one arm seems bigger than the other. One side is smooth, one has a pouch, etc. It is just squishy fat. Also, what would help to flatten out a double chin? Thank you. Courtney, go. Tell us how to target areas, please. You can't, oh, unfortunately. fuck. You've ruined my day. Yeah, no, unfortunately you can't target specific areas. Your body is going to lose fat in the order it wants to. It, Yeah, it can't. Unfortunately, it can't do anything. Usually, I've noticed, though, it often will lose fat in the order it puts it on first. <laughs> yeah. So if you're someone who puts it on around your tummy upper body first usually comes off their last and vice versa i don't think that's a scientific fact it's just something i've noticed but i've got a better way to put that it starts coming off first in areas you want it to the least yeah that's also the way it 
does tend to work. So unfortunately, no, you cannot target specific areas. I think generally if you have a very good all over body, um, I mean, weight, weight training by far is the best body changer and the best body shaper. So as long as you have as well a very good solid weight routine and it's it's an all over body routine so you're doing upper and lower body and it's consistent I think that'll go a big way to help sculpt your body the best it can um but you can't specifically target like you can go to the gym all you want and you can do as many bench press and you know sit ups for your abs sit ups for your abs it's it's not going to change that particular body area any quicker than the rest of it will spot reduction is <laughs> um the the sort of great hope for people yeah, with we weight all loss. Wish it worked. Oh, I just want to target this. That, that, sorry, Courtney's right. Doesn't work that way. This is a question, uh, Georgia, that relates to body composition. So the question you're actually asking is, how do I get leaner? Now, and that's also the answer to this question. Um, how do you how do you target these areas? Is target everything else in your body as well? It's about getting stronger and getting leaner. Now, in terms of at-home exercises or stretches, the only at-home exercises I can recommend is having an at-home gym. You need to do strength training. There's no other way I can say this because I would be lying. You need to do strength training. Yeah. So be it setting up a home gym or just sucking it up and going to a gym, this is a question that relates to getting stronger and getting leaner and reducing what we call body fat percentage, improving body composition. More muscle, less fat. Yep. Spot reduction. If only. Yeah. Actually, no, actually, <laughs> you can spot reduce. It's called surgery. Yeah. Outside of that. No, you've got to work on the entire body. Yep, correct. Cool? Yes. Daniel, what are the impacts of zero-calorie drinks, like sodas and energy drinks, on health and weight loss? Feels like a Matt question. Yeah. You want me to take care of this? Sure. Righto. First thing I would look at, this goes back to something I've said many times before. In fact, in the last half an hour I've said this. Is this your worst habit? If a person is improving and changing the way they want to improve and change and they're still having the occasional zero-calorie drink like soda or energy drinks and they're still changing, crack on, mate. Giddy up. If a person is not changing, not improving they want in the way they want to be improving and changing, okay, what's the worst thing I'm doing? Is it that? Chances are it's not. But is it are these drinks staples mm. versus bonus food? That's also an exercise we do with our clients, Courtney. Staple foods versus bonus foods, which also applies to liquids. Are these staples or bonuses? So for me, I used to have drinks like this as uh, as staple foods. I just didn't feel good on them. I occasionally will. I don't have much. I don't have any drink, energy drinks at all. I get my energy through my food personally. Uh, do I have the occasional zero calorie soda? Yes. In fact, I had a Pepsi Max yesterday, and it was bloody delicious. Do I have them every day? No. Has it stopped me to this point? No. Does that answer the question? 
I think so. All right. Annie, please talk about how you approach your clients concerning BMI. I know you know it's BS, but often people have doctors withholding medication from them until their BMI is lower, and Annie is one of them. In other words, we are forced to care about the results of something that is BS. How do you handle that, and what do you think of that personally? What do I think of that personally? What are your thoughts here, Courtney? Oh, it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a very old school method of of judging somebody's health. Old school, like hundreds of years old school. Yes. Yeah, and a lot of unfortunately, a lot of doctors just don't bother looking into it, and that it, it's just it's just another measure of like it's just a very easy measure for doctors to look at. They don't have to you know do it's, it's brain dead go any in depth too mm. much. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's it's very hard. Um, it's very hard to know in that situation what to do. It. I personally haven't gone through that. Um, it would be something, I guess, personally dependent. Like if you if you need that, if you if you feel strongly about it, maybe seek a different opinion. Maybe mm. try to educate your doctor on a different way that he could measure um, this and not using this particular form, this BMI form. Um, Matt, what do you think? Well, this is a good question because my first thought is, well, if I was in this situation, what would I do? Here's what I would do. One, I would talk to my doctor about, is there another method we can use to assess this beyond this? So, for example, could I go and get, I don't know, DEXA scans and we can measure my actual body fat percentage Mm. going down? Because the thing is with the BMI, obviously it is – hideous and doesn't take into account a muscular person. Yeah. Right. Can we use a different form of assessment here? Because if I would go and say, can we use DEXA scans or things like that? Because it's a very scientific, accurate way of using it. Yeah. That can be very appropriate to this situation because if a person's body fat percentage is going down, they're looking and feeling a bit different. Yeah. From there, if I was getting no luck, me personally, I'd go for a new doctor. That's what I would do in this situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Move on. Yep. Second last one. Sorry, third last one. Mm -hmm. Lycia Bear 87, hope I pronounced that correctly, on Instagram. Can weight slash strength training in the gym help me become faster on the soccer field? I do full body two to three times per week at the gym and sport three times per week. And my main goal in terms of fitness is to be faster and more agile playing sport. I love this question. Mm. Yes. Yes, it can help you become faster on the soccer field. This is one of the perks. And sorry for taking over here, Courtney. This is right up my alley. Yes. One of the perks of strength training is that it makes you better at everything you do. And it can be applied in multiple different areas. So, yes, because I've worked with clients in the past that have had legitimate athletic pursuits i want to get stronger so i am better at my chosen sport Mm -hmm. a thousand times yes this can make you better and faster on the soccer field more injury resistant more explosive in the case of um, soccer because when it comes to things like this you break it down to what's needed for the sport Mm -hmm. you know so soccer explosive movement lateral movement the footwork etc you can actually design strength training programs for someone to be highly suited 
to their specific sport and the needs of their sport. So the, the program will look different based on a soccer player versus, say, a tennis player or a football player. So short answer, hell yes. There is no downside to getting stronger in life. It makes you better at everything. From It can be from how many grocery bags you carry coming back from the supermarket to getting better at martial arts, to getting better at your sport? Yes, yes, yes. Great question. One, we don't get much because obviously we, have the, we work with, it's more um, body composition goals. But for sports, absolutely. And you can get really detailed with how you prescribe someone's program to make them better at that sport. Yeah. And I, I haven't had the chance to do it much over the years. I've, I've done a bit of it with myself as well. It is really enjoyable because you, you feel it. Like say with us with martial arts, like you punch harder, you kick harder, you're more explosive. It's yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. New Life Frankie 19 on Instagram. This is a good question. How did you get the courage to share all of your vulnerabilities on the podcast? I think it is hard to share that. I even think it is harder to share with people I don't know um, versus those I do know. I have started at the very beginning of your podcasts a few months ago, a few months ago, and I'm going through in order. Buckle up. Mm. I have wondered how many times you were brave enough to talk about everything when so many people are listening to you. Good question. Courtney, do you remember the discussion that we had when we first were designing the whole concept of this podcast? Not really. Okay. <laughs> a long time ago. Was very special to me. Oh, this is tough. We have those moments where we have things that are special to Matt and Courtney's like, fuck, oh, if I know, mate. Fucking, I don't well, remember tell that us. shit. Tell us what was the first. No, well, regardless of that, um, get your perspective, Courtney. How do you get the courage to to be open like this? What's your What's your sort of perspective on this? I don't, I don't really know where it comes from. I have to say, I think maybe just um, experience over time. I've been less afraid, working on losing the shame of making mistakes. Um, I think once I sort of developed the knowledge of of shame and around mistake making, it was a lot easier for me to just open up about it. Um, I don't know. It's obviously like I I don't know who's listening. No one could be listening for all I know. It's just you and me here so, talking, isn't it? It's just you and I having a having a, a gas bag. It's a lot easier to do it, yeah. you know. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself, you know, a courageous person because it's a lot easier to do it when no one's watching you, well, we as have, opposed um, to standing up in in front of a room full of people giving them my life story. Here's a question for you. So, when you and I record a podcast, it's you and me talking to each other across mm. the across the desk here, and we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. This actually, you now we've had like we're we're getting we're inching towards a million downloads of this podcast, all time, right? Could you get up and talk like this in front of a million people? No. <laughs> so I appreciate I appreciate you you know asking the question, but I truly don't think that I'm that courageous because I. I would definitely be nervous about talking in front of people. So it is a lot easier when you're on this side of the Although to be fair this though this side of the microphone. To be fair though, like you've been this vulnerable with clients as well in one on one situations. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I think you get to a stage, maybe I've just got to the stage where I'm comfortable with the mistakes I've made yep. and I'm comfortable with my life and my choices. Um, there's still going to be times that I don't, like I'm never going to enjoy making mistakes. It's not something that I naturally enjoy doing. Well, they're, they're humbling and they're not exactly fun. Um, but I think I've got to the stage where I'm able to learn from them. I'm able to, um, I, I think just accepting of where I am in my life, I think is the biggest thing. When, you, when you're happy and you're accepting of where you are and where you're going, I think it makes it a lot easier to talk about your life to other people. I completely agree. I, I view it from my perspective a little bit differently. I mean, I, I, yes, spot on. For me, it's also understanding that how can, how can we help people? Oh, I was just about to say, how as soon we, as you said, I've got another you know, thing, I thought to myself, I thought, I do also enjoy helping people. How can how can we help people if we're not being genuine? Yeah. Like we it's it's not it's it's just faux leadership. If we get on here and it's the same thing with our clients, if we tell them you do this and you do that, but we won't do it ourselves, like that's that's disingenuous. It's it's not authentic. Yeah. We this is this is what I was touching on before, Courtney, that that special moment of mine that you completely forgot. Now, when we designed the pod, when we when we designed the podcast, if you recall, Courtney, we we're having a discussion about you know, what's this going to look like, and I said to you, we need to just have no filter, yeah, and just let everything fly, yeah, because that's that's what ultimately that's what people connect with, yeah. Like if we and this is the thing we we, we did research, Courtney and I before before we launched this podcast because it's like, hey, we've got an idea for a podcast. Let's talk about video games. Courtney said no. Well, let's talk about weight loss. The other thing we know the best thing about. Yeah. Okay. But there's a 10 billion weight loss podcasts or thereabout on the internet. What do they do that we can do differently? And we went and did a lot of research and I because I listen to podcasts all day, every day and have for decades. Honestly, I found them boring. Mm. Found them very boring, very by the book. Um, not necessarily bad, but it's just like, well, hang on. We need to have something here where there's no filter mm. because people relate to being genuine and being authentic. And that's part of vulnerability is a necessary part of this in improving because you have to be vulnerable in order to get past the things that hold you back. Because running from that vulnerability holds a lot of people back in their life because they're not prepared to face things down. And you tend to find, and this is what's helped me a lot personally, the more vulnerable I've been prepared to be, the less I've given a shit about those things that used to I give a, used to give a lot of a shit about, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think to expand on me, I think you touched on a good point. I also really enjoy helping people and I like to see other people succeeding. That's so all, that, that's that's our job. That that fills up my cup in a way. Same. So then that is a lot makes it a lot easier to give my personal experiences because I know they're going to help someone else succeed. Absolutely. Um. So that takes a little bit of the pressure off that being vulnerable part. I think the other thing as well is that there's a part of me that wishes that I heard a lot of these things ten years ago. And there was yeah. always a part of me as well when when Matt's right when we. First spoke about a podcast and started to to design it. It was obviously originally intended just for our clients yeah. back when we owned a gym, and 
I wanted I wanted a space and I wanted to create a space where people could hear things that I would, wouldn't have heard. So I didn't see a lot, especially in the age of social media, where everyone's putting up the most perfect parts of their life. The best, the best 1%. Yeah. Best 1%. So everyone, you know, and I didn't hear, I didn't hear a lot of these, you know, influencers talking about, well, hey, I put on a couple of kilos over Christmas. Whoops. You know, well. Or, hey, I spend hours picking an outfit to go out with. Yeah. Yeah. Like they weren't talking about these. They weren't talking about making mistakes or, you know, things like this. It was always perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm still losing weight. I'm still looking my best. You know, they can't admit when. And that used to really annoy me because I thought to myself, it's so disingenuous because people aren't happy all the time. People never not make mistakes. People, even who are trainers, you know, you're going to make mistakes or you're going to go through periods of time where maybe you've you've been inconsistent with your training or maybe you've put on a couple of kilos or something's happened in your life. And it's so disingenuous to me to put people these influencers or these trainers up on a pedestal to be like this is like a perfect life when it just it's just impossible it's it's not authentic and it is very very misleading to show all the wins when what actually makes you good at this is the losses yeah and so we like yes Courtney and I've had plenty of wins and we love to talk about them but what really defines us and is what has really gotten us to this stage where we've had the wins is because we've had the losses and we we can't get on here and be an audio version of you know Instagram influencer dickhead number 50,000 saying hey here's my perfect life by the beach in my bikini I've lost all this weight and have had no issues with it like that's not real I think as well, it's it's disingenuous as disingenuous, disingenuous. Sorry, as even as coaches, to tell people to you know it's okay to make mistakes and and we'll move on from this, but being unwilling to admit when you've made your own. That's fraudulent. Yeah. And it's also it's 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 crazy to think that you you know anyone would believe that you would go through life and never make them. So. I mean, I think that's one of the things that drove me forward as well, which was wanting to be that example that I wish I had had. Um, I think I think you've we'll move on after this, Courtney. But you've made a good point to me as well. I think we've both aligned with this. It's easy to get the courage to share these things when you've got personal standards, and these are the standards that we want to adhere to. Mm. You know, like you just said it. Like we we ask our clients to be vulnerable and to share things, but then we don't do it. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't work with us um, and under I'm, those circumstances. And, you know, I'm going to sit there and, and tell one of our clients that, you know, that tells me, oh, I put on, I've, I've, I've slipped and I've put on a, a few kilos and, and I haven't been in a good way. Or and I fell I'm, off the wagon for two I'm weeks. And I'm going to sit there and say, it's okay, it's fine, what do we need to do now to push on, yet I'm not willing to admit that I've done the same thing. Or another way around is if we're going to chastise someone for having a bad week, like we don't have bad weeks or we've never had bad weeks. It's just not authentic. So when you come from a place of, for us, attempted authenticity and being genuine, it becomes easier to share your vulnerabilities. I agree. Last question. Did you use incentives to help change your bad habits? Love, love, love this question. Hell yes. Hell yes. You want to share any? Because I got one straight away. Oh, you go then. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I used to, every, my love of video games is well known as my main hobby. I've been into it for decades, many, many, many decades since the, the early 80s. And I, it's, it's what I love to do and I'm not doing anything else. For me, it was a problem to the stage where I would take days off school. I would even chuck sickies from work to stay home and play the latest video game. You know, or I would, uh, when I was one of those guys that was trying to lose weight, I would skip gym sessions mm. to just go home and play video games instead. So my, my hobby was not a productive one. What's helped me a lot is the incentive of I can't do what I love until I need my, to, until I take care of my responsibilities, a.k.a. work before play. Yeah. Work before play. That's been a massive incentive for me is get done what needs to get done. Then as a reward, go put your feet up, go and enjoy yourself. So I've tied in my training sessions, shopping, food prep, podcast recording, working with our clients, like all these all these various non-negotiables. That's actually not, that's also what it is. Then these things are non-negotiable. So my most enjoyable negotiable is the incentive and the reward. And for some clients, an incentive might be, okay, I want to build consistency and as a way to reward myself for that, I'm going to get a new outfit mm. at the end of, of six weeks or 12 weeks or whatever. Or for some, it could be a photo shoot, like whatever it's going to be. For me, easy answer for a past accordingly is yes, used incentives, yes, great idea, yes, work, but the incentives have to appeal to you. I don't really have anything else to add to that. I think that you described it perfectly. What incentives have you used? Oh. It changed over time. There's been, yep, yeah, outfits, clothing. Um, I don't know. What else have I used? There was a photo shoot at one stage. There was, I guess I'm similar to you, Matt, where I don't play video games, but my downtime is my reward. Yeah. Um, going to visit with family and yep. just chill out, not Social. having to think about, oh, you know, I've got to go, I've got to leave to get to the gym, you know, like, you know, everything's done. Um, yeah, it, it sort of changed over the time, yep. but you're right. It has to appeal to you ultimately. Yep. So I think that's it. We did it. We did it. We've done all the questions. That is the end of this season. Yes. And we're never coming back ever again. <laughs> no. Until early next year. We will be back. We are taking the rest of the year off, which is to say we are already planning for the next season, early yes. next year. Thank you very much for bearing with us and lasting as long as you have. If you're still listening by this stage, well, hey, you're a saint and we love you very much for it. Courtney? Yes. You have a Facebook group? Yes, we do. Where is it? It's on Facebook. <laughs> What's it called? The Weight Loss Podcast. Come and hang out at the Facebook group with myself, with Courtney and other fans of the show. You'll find an easy link for it in your podcast app. Just press the link and boom, there we are. You'll find notes on this episode and all other episodes over at theweightlosspodcast.com. Courtney, we did it. We, we did. We, we win. We did. We've done it. You've won with us. Hope you've got a lot, lot out of this season. We are excited already for the next season. It's we just keep on rolling. Yes, absolutely. Enjoy yourself and you'll hear from us very soon. Bye. 
Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 